Hey, welcome to The Screenwriting Life. I'm Meg LaFove. And I'm Lorianne McKenna. We are professional screenwriters. We've worked together as a team and separately. We've worked on studio and indie films, live action and animation, from my work on Inside Out and Captain Marvel. To my work in Pixar's story department on Up, Brave, and Inside Out. We are here to share our insights on the craft of screenwriting and also the life. How to not only survive the ups and downs, but thrive. We want to help you become the best screenwriter you can be and to reassure you that you are not alone on this journey. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to The Screenwriting Life. I have been especially excited to talk about our topic today. It's a topic that I'm going to call, and what I made up, called Pick a Pony. We are going to be focusing on specific elements in our writing when we revise and being able to narrow our focus onto those so that we can be hone in on what the rewrite purpose is. Is that right, Meg? Close enough. Close <laughs> enough. <laughs> Why don't you say what it is? Since no, that's you... totally right. I'm just okay. teasing. No, I'm just okay. teasing. You have to get disciplined when you're going to rewrite. That's what I want to talk about. You got to pick your pony. You can't jump off halfway through the race and go on to a different pony. Okay. So, but first we're going to be talking about our weeks or what we like to call adventures in screenwriting. Lorian, how was your Emmy week. It was so awesome that I, I mean, getting nominated for an Emmy is like kind of surreal and really, really cool. And, but it didn't really sink in to what it was until it was like the day of, and I like got my hair done with my daughter. She got her hair done. We got our makeup done. It was very cute. You know, you wear a fancy dress that I got from Rent the Runway, by the way, because, you know, Let's be realistic about buying a really fancy dress and then never wearing it again. Well, for me, that was the practical decision I had to make. I splurged on hair and makeup, which I'm glad I did. Um, but going to the Emmy ceremony, it felt real. Like I didn't know what it was because it was the first children's and family Emmy awards. And so I kind of didn't know what I was like, going to expect, but like everyone was so fancy and it was like a real awards and I got to see everyone from tab time, which was so awesome. It was like the gang all back together. And we were seated like smack in the middle, like the front three rows of the orchestra. So I was like right there for everything. And what was so cool was getting to see like how award shows work when you're there, as opposed to what you're seeing on TV. It was really fun. It was a really well-produced show. Um, and you know, Lawrence Fishburne gave uh, LeVar Burton uh, the uh, Lifetime Achievement Award for his work on, you know, Reading Rainbow. And I was sitting right next to Sesame Street crowd. You know, they won in my category. And I was like, well, losing to Sesame Street is not the worst thing that has ever happened to me. I think that's pretty extraordinary. Um, and uh, so it was really, really cool. And I got to talk to people and everyone there was just so excited. I mean, probably because I was so excited. I had no chill. I was like, this is so awesome. What are you here for? And then people would be like, I'm here for this show. I'm like, I've never heard of that. And they're like, I've never heard of your show either. Hooray. It was just really fun and very cool. And I got my picture taken on the red carpet, you know, um, and I got to see some people that I haven't seen in a while that were also nominated. And that was really cool. You know, people from Pixar. Um, but yeah, it was really, really cool. And um, so I wasn't going to drink at all because I had to drive my car home um, afterwards. But I was like, okay, I'll have like a little bit of champagne at the very beginning. So I take two sips, uh, fall over a little bit and accidentally throw my drink all over Jack McBrayer's feet. So he was the host that evening. And I was like, okay, so I'm not going to drink anymore. Like it's a bad, it's a sign. And yeah, it was really fun. My daughter got to, you know, meet the actresses from the Babysitter's Club and she saw the actress who played Andy Mack. So uh, she played with the young girl who won uh, uh, for her, her role in Punky Brewster, the, the remake. And uh, like these kids are just out there playing and there's like ridiculously fancy party dresses. It was really cute. I had such a great time. It, it was really just like, I'm having a hard time with my fraud syndrome because I was nominated for an Emmy for a series I ran and I was at the Emmys. And so it's now it's like, oh wait, maybe I do know what I'm doing a little bit. You didn't just run so that, that series. Validation. You didn't just run that series. <laughs> I'm sorry, I understand but, what you have to say, but I right. don't. You did not just run that series. You created that series. That is your, I'm sorry, but you you are the creator of that series. Maybe not the concept overall. Oh, no way. Okay. 
Um, but it was really uh, like getting that external validation was really powerful. And yes, right. Like they're complicated and all the things, right. But um, you know, I, I struggle a lot with external validation and having the confidence come within, but I got to say getting nominated for a fancy award really is some external validation that really does kick your fraud syndrome in the ass. So I'm riding on this high. It's been a couple of days. We'll see how long it lasts, but. And I'm um, so glad you're enjoying it because this is the good part. This is the good oh, part. Yeah. So fun. I wore flats. So I was comfortable. Like it was, it was really fun. Like I just, the whole thing was so fun. I mean, of course, my daughter had a huge blood sugar crash right before we left. She had a big blood sugar crash right when we got there. It was like, all right, we'll just deal with it. Drink your juice. Let's go. You know, it's just part of life too, right? Even that stuff didn't bum me out too much. But oh no. I mean, well, Meg, you were at the Oscars. You were nominated for an Oscar and you've won other awards. Like, it's so crazy. It's cool fun. and amazing and surreal and fun. Right. <laughs> it's funny though, because like you and I walked on the red carpet beaming and smiling really wide and giggling and just having the best time. And then the actors come and they don't smile and they just so stare smokily at the camera. Like I'm yes. just so bored. I'm just so bored. Right. And you're like, Oh my God, have fun until you see the pictures. And then you're like, Oh, 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 right. Oh, right. That actually looks a lot yeah. better. <laughs> I actually, yeah. So <laughs> I'm not sad that I can't find the pictures because I was doing the like smiley, smiley. And then I did a whole starfish pose right through my arms and my legs. That was like, <laughs> so that picture exists somewhere. And I hope okay, it find it, it find out. the TSL or listeners, do, yeah. find it, I post actually, it on Facebook, starfish I pose do hope on the red carpet. Because that is exactly like a physical manifestation of how it felt to be there. I made the photographer laugh. Like, anyway, no, it was so much fun. Uh, but uh, it was, it was uh, it was great too because it was the shows there. Some of them, most of them, all of them were so good. You know, Sweet Tooth and Heartstopper won a bunch of stuff, and Babysitters Club. You know, Babysitters Club was the final category. It won uh, best teen, uh, outstanding teen show, I think. And it was the showrunner, and then all that. It was just a big group of women up on stage and she called it out and it was just like what a great way to end this show right just these beaming talented you know gorgeous people up on stage you know sort of getting to showcase their their um their show it was really cool so cool so apologies if you're listening and you were there and I didn't call out your show your show is also awesome yeah but anyway so Meg how was your week I am probably at the opposite end of that stick <laughs> <laughs> it's not a bad week not the opposite in terms of good or bad just in terms of granular trenches writing up to your elbows in it kind of literally like what the hell am I doing I don't know <laughs> um yeah so you know I talk a lot in the show about uh emerging writers especially when they're doing rewrites they're not blowing it up enough they're not starting with clean documents they're not re-outlining recarding which I still believe, you know, do that for five drafts at least, you know, I, I still believe that. But, you know, sometimes in your project, you also get to the point where it's starting to solidify now. But that doesn't mean you still don't have big notes that have to start uh, being worked in more surgical ways um, and more. So you still have you're still getting tons of notes, but it's holding. Um, so you still have but you still have to track these larger things and deal with organizing disparate notes. And, uh, you know, I guess what I'm trying to say is it's a time that you have to be even more inventive uh, in terms of you're in a confined space now, like blue sky, go crazy. What could be this? It could be that. Like, that's super fun. But then this other stage comes in. I don't know. How many drafts? Five? How many drafts? I don't know. 10 drafts in, I have no idea, where you're like, okay, pieces are holding and I have to get super surgical. And what is the solution to this right here that answers six questions? Like it can't just answer one. No, it has to answer six of these notes and it has to be entertaining and it has to fit with everything else. And I can't just throw something in because that, that thing I just threw in will hit later. And so you're trying to get really surgical uh, not in every scene, some scenes are completely blowing up, but sometimes you're just trying to 
see the ripples back and forth of what you're doing and you have to hold it all in your head as you're doing it. Um, uh, especially if you are working with a director or a producer, uh, you, you know, or you're in a TV room, you've got to, it's going, things are ta being talked and thrown out and you've got to hold it all in your head as you're trying to come up with these ideas. So my brain is tired. I go home at night and uh, stare at the walls and just, it's really tiring. It's really physically tiring. It's so stupid because you're just sitting there, but the brain power, the, <laughs> I'm not getting skinny either. Damn it. Why does not the brain power take the fat to, I don't understand it, but uh, you just need the fat. We need the fat to feed our brain. Carbs I feed do. our brain. It's I science. Love that. It's science. It's science. It is. It is. I do. Uh, yes. I wish it was taking more of it, but um, it doesn't work though. When you're also eating cookies out of stress, they kind of, you know, it doesn't really, but uh, it's just discipline and um, you know, I, it can be overwhelming in terms of that tracking in your head and tearing. So what I'm doing, I'm kind of going back to what I've done, I've done in the past. I did this on inside out and um, I've actually done on every movie I've worked on, I think where I just start charting. Okay, given all of that, given these are the solutions that are on the table, let's just do a chart. Like, like for Inside Out One, let's say, okay, here's Joy, every sequence she she's in, and what is happening to her character. Okay, what's the main relationship? Okay, it's Joy and Sadness in the first movie, and uh, you remember this, Lauren. And then I tracked Joy and mm -hmm. Sadness's relationship through the whole movie. Um, and so you're, I I track different things to make sure they're evolving and. Joy staying active in, in that case. And, uh, you know, so that's kind of where I am now is trying to get it out of my head and out of these kind of notes documents and into actually a, a chart of, hey, will, you know, can I see the ripples back and forth? Um, and the last thing I, you know, which is, which is its own work, you know, it's just, it's creative and yet using your left logic brain at the same time. Um, uh and then I guess the last thing I'd say is I had this experience where I was up at Pixar uh, this past week and I had a moment of, you know, I was tired uh, in a good tired, you know, it's kind of like after a great workout where you're like, okay, good work today, but I'm tired. And um, I was walking through the atrium and I thought, holy shit, I'm at Pixar, <laughs> which is ridiculous. I've been there so many times, but I was just like, oh my God, I'm at Pixar. I'm a writer at Pixar. Holy shit. And uh, it just it just was this reminder, you know, when I was a producer and decided to become a writer or forget that when I came to Hollywood and was an assistant at an agency, I never in a million trillion years would have imagined that I would be walking through the atrium of Pixar as a Pixar writer in a billion years. And it just reminded me that the universe can dream a lot bigger than you can. And sometimes it's just allowing it to happen and taking those risks and and putting in the work because it needs to know you're committed. Uh, but crazy things can happen, you know. Uh, and so I just had one of those wonderful moments of waking up to, you know, getting my nose out of the foxhole and being, you know, or, or the tree knot, right? And being like, oh, right, this is pretty awesome. And I there's incredibly talented, interesting people around me and we laughed until we cried today. And, you know, it, it was, uh, it was kind of, it was a nice moment that re-energized me. Um, so, but I just want to say That's to everybody awesome. starting out, um, you're going to, if you put the work in and you nose to the grindstone and you push yourself um, into the lava and all the stuff we talk about and do the work, you, you can't imagine where you're going to end up. You might end up on the carpet of the Emmys. Uh, so uh, I think that's, let the universe dream for you. You do the work. Oh, I just wanted to say, um, I, I think that's such great advice, but also think back to what you wanted and who you believed you could be when you were a kid. When I was in high school, I knew I was going to win an Oscar for acting, of course. But like I could see myself at an award show winning something for being creative. And then I lost it. Right. I lost the belief that I was going to be able to do that just because of, you know, all the noise and the trauma and then the jobs and the work and the grind. And um, so I think back to who you thought you were going to be when you were some age as a kid. Like, what's that version of yourself? Connect back into that and who that person. Excuse me. I mean, that always helps for me, like 
who did I imagine I was going to be before I lost faith in that imagining? Yeah, I was, I was, I was 10 when I wrote my first short story and wanted to send it to the teen magazine uh, because I, I just wanted to tell stories and reach people and or, with my stories. Um, uh, but then I gave it up because it was too hard. And what did I have to say? And I have no stories and I was too scared and many other reasons that, and, but it did, it was a little seed that was planted as a beacon long ago. So it's really great advice to, and how it's going to happen. It may not be in the, like you said, being an actor, that may not be where the universe takes you. Um, it may be in a preschool TV show, which is reaching children, which is incredibly powerful and sacred work. Uh, so you just, you don't know how it's going to, what it's going to look like. Um, but it's really important to pick your beacon and set, set your, set your sails towards what you want. Cause this town will <laughs> tell you what you want and, and take you different mm -hmm. directions. I mean, it's something you have to do a, a lot, kind of remind yourself, okay, what do I, what is it that I want? Where do I want to be? Um, where am I giving my life energy? Um, so Jeff, I think you have some reviews. Yeah, you know, as always, um, we are so grateful to our TSL community. Um, the reason we do it is for all of you. So uh, one of the best ways that you can talk back to us and help grow our show is by writing us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Um, it's a fun chance for us to connect with you and see your beautiful writing, but it's also a chance to bump our show up in the algorithm, which helps more people find the show, which is of course why we started the show was to create a community and help as many people as possible. So help us help you help us help you by writing an Apple podcast review. Um, I'm going to start with this review from second son first draft who says, love the lava. Very grateful to have found this podcast at this point in my life. You all have inspired me to write my very first screenplay, which is the story of how my parents met and there's plenty of lava to navigate. Ooh, I want to read that or see it on the screen rather. I'm wrapping up the first draft now and eager to share it with the world. Thank you for everything that you do for the writing community. Very exciting. Um, That's awesome. Neo Jurassic says, easily the best screenwriting podcast out there. This podcast is easily my favorite among the many regarding screenwriting and easily in my top 10 podcasts overall. I haven't yet found one as well-rounded, focused, holistic, and precise as this one. Intellectually or emotionally, this show is incredibly accessible to anyone with even a passing interest in screenwriting. It's a wonderful review. It's like hitting all of the goals that we kind of set out for this show. So it thank is. you. It is. And then um, finally, SFX Christina says, great podcast. I'm not a writer, but I am a creative in the film industry and have found this podcast very helpful in expanding my knowledge of how the industry works and understanding of the creative process. Recommend for any creative looking to expand their understanding of the film industry and the process of storytelling. That's really cool. The thing I love about that is um, we, yes, we are a screenwriting podcast, but we do kind of try to create a tone and a feel that could be helpful for any creatives. So to hear, I'm assuming this person works in special effects, her username, and I'm assuming it's her because the name is Christina. So I'm guessing that this is an SFX specialist in our business. Um, so first of all, I love a female special effects person. That's very cool. And um, you're just one of many who listens to the show who might not be a writer or not be a writer yet, but we love you all the yeah, same. Yeah, I would love for people who aren't uh, screenwriters or TV writers to give us a review because I you're walking up and talking to me about it. I've had novelists talk to me about it and playwrights and animators and you know uh, graphic novelists and uh I do. That is our goal is to talk about creativity and the life of an artist. Um, and I do think the craft of storytelling can translate into many different mediums. Um, so if you're out there and you're listening and uh, you're listening for a different discipline, let us know. It's really fun. To that, Meg, you said earlier in Adventures and Screenwriting where you chart a character and their development. And when I was in the art department on Brave, or, you know, they make... Um, color scripts for the movie. So like each sequence has a certain feel and we would do time of day charts and weather charts, sort of tracking how the movie feels in the background, like sort of every aspect of it to support the story. And that is something you can do too, to break it down if the if you get sort of distracted by the plot and you're looking, you know, like this is what happens instead of this is how my character is turning. You can look at it as sort of maybe like weather or colors or, feeling somehow that describe how that you can articulate perhaps that if you're not quite there because sometimes I look at something I'm like I don't know 
what the turn is in the scene, but if I can figure out like what the turn is, and, um, like how it makes me feel like a movie scene that I can relate to, like, oh, this is what it's like, or a color or the weather or something, that can also be something that can help you sort of look at the thing as a big picture. Um, like you can look at these color scripts in the art of books or the, I'm sure they have them online, but it's a way to sort of, what is the, the tone, the mood, the feeling of the movie in just a slightly different, bigger picture way. Yeah, absolutely. That's really a cool way to think about it. I try to look at the chart as, you know, what's changing here? What action are they taking? What behavior, what choice were they given and what choice did they make? Um, especially for the main character so that they're driving the movie and you can see if they're active or not. If everyone, if in every sequence you're watching them listen, watch, you know, respond to what someone else mm -hmm. did, you can quickly see, oh, First of all, no actor is going to want to do it, uh, and uh, but most more importantly, they're just an inactive main character. Um, so, so I think this relates to the topic a little bit, like picking a pony, right? So I, I think I'm wondering if we can, as an example to what you're talking about with breaking it down, can we pick like a scene from Inside Out and like sort of how would you do that? How would you break it down? Because there's the plot, there's what happens, there's the choice that the character in terms makes. of my charting. Yeah, like what is that? Uh, I would just put super easy. I mean, it's not brain surgery. Mm -hmm. I actually uh, was asked to do this when I worked for Jodie Foster because we were given mm -hmm. um, a script that she was interested in, but she felt like her character as an actor, she was feeling that her character was um, not evolving and was repeating. And as an actress, she doesn't mm -hmm. want to repeat in a scene what she's already explored in a different scene. And she felt her character wasn't active enough. So she said to me, take this script and chart it. And in one column, just tell me the action of the scene, what's happening. And then tell me what's happening to my character. What choice is she making? How is she feeling? Whatever is the predominant thing in that scene for my character. And you could just see it like uh, like a flat line going uh, hmm. through, the through, the, through the script that she wasn't. Now, it's not to say it's not black and white. There were moments of, of hills and valleys, but you know, for her, for an actor, it had to be every scene. What is happening? What, what am I playing in the scene? If it's the same thing I just played two scenes ago. And if it is two, something I just played two scenes ago, why did I not learn my lesson? Did I like, why am, you know, you have, you have to give a reason to the actress of why are you playing the same want exactly at the same situation, the same character moment that you just played. Um, and again, I'm not saying that can't happen, but you better know why. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I did it with joy and, and joy and sadness because I, you know, the main relationship is also super important. Is it evolving or is it just repeating itself over and over? What, and it can be teeny, sometimes, especially in a relationship, it can be small and it may not be even something the audience is catching right away, but you know, as the, as the creator, like, and sometimes it's large, like in Inside Out, I would just chart, where is Joy learning her thematic lesson from sadness? You know, so there's super obvious ones like uh, when Bing Bong loses his rocket, you know, and sadness sits down and basically does what my preschool taught me to do with my children, which is don't tell them how they feel and don't fix it. Just mirror back to them what they're feeling so that they learn to self, first of all, learn what their emotions are. They're allowed to have them. They're healthy and they can learn to regulate this. And part of learning self-emotional regulation is just allow that you are allowed to have your feelings. So if your kid, so sadness sits down and, uh, you know, says, you know, you lost your wagon and you loved your wagon, like just repeating what he has already said and just feeling it and being empathetic with him. And Joy's kind of at first like, oh my God, don't sit down. This is, you know, we gotta go. Why are you doing that? Let's just fix it, right? Because her way didn't work. Like she tried to get Bing Bong going and it didn't work. So now sadness is walking in and she's witnessing sadness do it. Um, and I think there's a little moment. Sometimes I forget what's actually in the movie and what we had in Boris. I don't know if that ever happens to you, Lorian, but. Um, oh yeah. There's a little moment where sadness is like. I still what? don't know what Up is about. I still don't know what Up is about because I watched it for four <laughs> years. So I was like, wait, that's the version that we. I know, cool. right? Yeah, that works. So yeah. in the no, scene, yeah. you know, yeah, Joy good. goes from, oh my God, please don't do that. You're being annoying. That's going to take forever to witnessing it worked. It got him going. It made him feel seen, let him cry. And now he's moving on and doing what we need him to do to take us forward. And there's a moment where she's like, huh, how, what, what, what did you do? And then she just gets distracted and is like, oh my God, let's move on because she's not learned her lesson yet. It's just a piece. 
you know, so it's sometimes it's very small things is- like in uh, like we were tracking it and I realized, oh, in um, abstract thought, it has to be sadness who has the answer to get out of here. Right. Because what is the relationship or a bigger? So that's a small moment. Like sadness has has the key to get them out of abstract thought where it's a bigger moment. We're in the train and they realize, hey, we have the same favorite memory. How is that possible when we're so different from each other? So it's just tracking that relationship and how it's helping her shift her perception of sadness. Um, and then you have to track sadness too, because she has her own little claiming arc, right? So she's not going to be uh, in every scene shifting, maybe the way that joy or that relationship is, but she is shifting. And it's a lot to keep in your mind. Sometimes when you get in a chart, it's a lot easier to see. I love a chart. Big fan. I love a good chart. Color coding. Yeah. I love a good chart. <laughs> this seems closely tied to character polls too, right, Meg? Because if you know yeah. your character starting and ending, it gives you at least a vision to build the tent around it, sort of. In terms, yeah, of I know it... she's going to start here and believe this, and by the end, she's going to have a completely different 180 because she's a transformative character idea of herself, the world, what she did to create this whole thing by her mistaken belief, which we have to believe as the audience too, or you don't have the the catharsis with them, of course. Um, so yeah, the polls about, start to form it, yeah. This is about earning it, right? This is what we're talking about, earning it, that every little scene adds up the movement. I think about Scrooge, where Scrooge starts and where Scrooge ends are so, such massively opposing poles. And, but we're with him on that journey. So we believe it by the time he gets there. He's been scared. He's been, you know, remind, you know, past, present, future, all that. Everybody knows the story, but like we're earn. He's he's earning the catharsis, so we feel like, oh, that's believable. If a ghost visited me and did those things, I might change that much too. Right. You know, so right. it's uh, <laughs> maybe, probably not. Uh, <laughs> you know, in terms of like the charting that, like each moment matters and he doesn't repeat. Well, and you can get, right? you can in get tra- lost oh, in yeah. the fun of it. Like, oh, this seems so funny or, um, the entertainment or the, oh my God, the plot twist. And I'm not saying all oh, that is important. It's super important, but it doesn't, it's not the base of it. It's not going to hold the building up. Right. Like if that character isn't shifting and I don't know why we're in this scene, um, and if I don't want what they want in the scene, you're really dead in the water. You're just dead in the water. If we don't, if, as much as you don't relate to Scrooge, you can relate to, hey, I don't want these ghosts scaring the shit out of me. Like, I get it. <laughs> I don't want it either. Like, I get it. Like, I'm with him in right, his but the wish fulfillment. The wish fulfillment, though, is getting to go, like, he gets to go see his past, right? There's wish fulfillment in it that you're like, want him to go to the, it's, it's such an interesting structure. Anyway. I love Scrooge stories, though. I'll watch every single adaptation ever. So I love them. <laughs> um, so um, Pick a Pony, so the topic. Of, let me just, yeah. okay, I call it Pick a Pony. I don't even know where it came from. It just came out of my mouth one day. Um, it comes from teaching. It comes from doing um, consults. It comes from, I just did this um, this um, lab at Hedgebrook. Um, in which we talked about it a lot. Um, and it can come when you're in the room with a director or a co-writer or a producer or so or in a TV room and TV is slightly different I would think but in terms of features where it, especially if you're with other people a director a producer uh, in animation there'd be a head of story whoever whatever um, you kind of at some point do as you're churning up all the different solutions to your rewrite right and you could do this you could do that and you're putting things on the table at some point you have to say, okay, we've got all this, all these solutions on the table. We've had, you know, had fun, right? Blue skying this and what could, what it could be, but now you got to pick something. And because not all of these things are going to work together. They're just not right. So sometimes, and when I'm working with somebody, it would just be okay in your next draft, you and I are going to start talking and I want you to start picking things so that I know how to help you and how to get you to that. Cause if you're not picking we're going to do it unconsciously, right? I'm going to think we're doing something that we're not doing. Or I find that people don't want to pick because they want it all. Number one, you want it all. Or number two, it's scary to pick because guess what? It's harder. It's just harder. If you cannot throw any tone in that you want, if you can't shift main characters in the middle of your movie, if you can't change, you have a bazillion relationships for me to follow, um, meaning you're just throwing shit in all the time. Uh, 
uh, it's harder. It's much, much harder to say, okay, I'm going to pick a pony in terms of genre. What genre are you doing? Okay. Or I'm going to pick a pony in terms of tone. How, okay. It's a comedy. Okay. That's not, we're not at tone yet. That's just too broad. What kind of comedy, right? Are we doing Cone Brothers comedy? Are we doing Adam Sandler comedy? Like what, start giving me tone references. Okay. That's the comedy we're doing. One that I find is really gets wiggly is main relationship. What is the main, what is the core relationship of this movie? I am not saying that you can have a million relationships. You can do Avengers, right? But if there is a core relationship to Avengers, there's a main core relationship that is rooting and anchoring that down. And so many times in early drafts, we're just shifting around and trying to figure it out. And it surprises us often shoot, I don't even think I thought this was the main relationship, but it turns out that's the prize and what I'm trying to save. And it's the it's the kid standing next to her, that that is actually the main relationship. And you don't know that until you pick the wrong one as your pony and you're outlining it or just beat sheeting it and following that relationship and realizing, oh, that just petered out. Because when I get to this part of the story, that isn't the main relationship, right? It's this person. And so then you go back. Okay, pick the other pony be cheated out, uh, just do really big, big movements of that relationship. And the story is prismed through that main relationship. What's that movie? And they're all different movies, right? And really they are. And it just helps me so much when I'm working with writers to know those things. Um, uh, you know, and it can get very complicated when it's a true story because people will start to say, well, all these things did happen. How do I pick a pony? And I'm like, well, I'm not looking for a documentary. Right. I'm looking for your artistic vision and story using this real life experience or thing that happened as the paint. Right. So you still you really got to pick a pony if it's a real life thing. Like even if uh, you're you've been researching a real life woman and you find out somebody else is doing the same woman. I'm like, well, um, they're going to have different ponies because you're different people. But, and if they're just doing, quote unquote, her life, that's not it either. So which, you know, uh, it really gets important. It gets really important for ensembles. Um, super important. Can I ask a question about that yeah. when you say pick a pony? So let's, let's say I'm working on an Eleanor Roosevelt movie and so are you. And I really want to investigate her later years, right? Like the, her, like the last 10 years of her life. And you want to investigate like the first years when... Uh, she was in the White House. Is that what you mean, pick a pony when you're doing well, something? Well, that's going to be starting. About... That's going to be that's going to be the yeah. first biggest, broadest choice, right? To me, right. that's more the race. What race are you running? I'm going to run the race mm -hmm. here in her this part of her life, and you're going to run the race over here. They're different races, right? But now, what pony right. are you picking? It, like, if what if we were both doing Eleanor Roosevelt in her later life? Right. And I want to write about regret. Right. Okay. So the theme is starting to tell me. And what's the main relationship of your movie about regret? Uh, her best friend, who's dead. Right. So but she, uh, you want to you want, and so you're going to follow the relationship with her best friend and explore the theme of regret. We're not quite at a theme yet. What do you have to say about regret? Is really the theme. But we're we're picking ponies. We're getting there closer. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to pick her end of her life and talk about a marriage and what is a marriage. And her friend's mm -hmm. going to be in it. And all that stuff that you're going to do is going to be in it, but it's right. going to be very, so I'm about, different. Because I want to write about friendship. Right. And okay. I want to write about this marriage and how the hell did it survive? Uh, both of them being so powerful, so strong, under such pressure, world events, so many things. Like I have so many questions about the marriage and I'm so curious about it, right? That I And I think the end of her, that part of her life really explores it and all the facets. And, but again, I'm not at a theme yet, but I'm picking a pony. It's going to be him, right? That doesn't mean there's not a thread with her friend that's affecting the marriage prism. There's not the, an affair. There is not her, her secretary who was with her her whole life. It's not, all of those people are mm -hmm. in it, but the core mm -hmm. spine of it, the pony we're on is the marriage. You know, like if you look at, um, there's an old movie that I love called what Fred Skepsi did. Um, that Meryl Streep and Sam Neill are in. It's an Australian dingo 
got my baby. What's that Maybe called? Maybe the Dingo Ate Your Baby? Dingo Ate My one? Baby movie, um, which I, sorry, I don't mean to be flippant about that horrible experience that those people had, but it was a true life experience. But but you start to realize, oh, this is about the marriage. The, can the marriage survive this? Um, the doubts of what happened and blah, blah, blah. So um, that's, what, that's the pony we're picking, right? Like it's just so important for an ensemble, right? So a lot of people think they're doing an ensemble, but the more I talk to them, I'm like, no, oh, you're doing a movie about friendship. And it's these two women. Yes, all the guys are there and all the stuff and the careers and the blah, 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 are there. But really what happens if it's the focus of this is these two women? First of all, now we're going to get much better actresses <laughs> because they don't have a quarter of a part. They know they're the core of it. They know that it's structuring around them. They know it. Trust me, they know it versus I'm one of 10 people, right? And even the glass onion, which is crazy all over the place, right? Plot wise, there's a million characters. I'm not going to tell you anything because I won't give it away. It's super fun. It's just super fun. It's just really, really fun. Yeah, there's plot twists and, you know, uh, it's Ed Norton, right? So great. He's so great, you know, and yeah. they're all so great. They're such great actors and you're having so much fun, but there is a core relationship. Now, because it's one of these mysteries, it's a bit hidden the core relationship, but that's okay. The writer knows it's there. That's all I need to be. You know what I mean? It's not like you're going to, in the first five pages, announce it with neon lights. I don't care. You need to know it, though. If I was developing it with you, I'd be like, oh, that's the main relationship. I get it. Okay, that's why this whole thing is going to spin this way, right? Um, So the main relationship to me is a really, really important choice. Again, just for a version. Half the time, I'm working with people who I'm just like, hey, pick a pony for this version. Now, Andrew would say to us at Pixar, it's an exercise, Right. So d- just don't freak out about it. It's an ex do this exercise. And, you know, he, when he would give us different things to do, I'm saying the same thing, pick a pony for three days and just see what happens. And does it spark? Does it start to have heat and fire and ideas are popping? It's probably a good pony. If it gets really weighted and heavy and you just don't care. And it doesn't feel like avoidance that you don't care. Careful, be very careful. It, sometimes it's starting to burn. So your brain's like, this is boring. Uh, but if it truly is just not of interest, you're probably got the wrong pony. Even though your brain told you that that is what would sell and your brain told you that's what people were going to be interested in and your brain told you all kinds of things. But when it doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter. Because um, a lot of times when you get notes, this can get very confusing because they're actually picking ponies for you sometimes. And you're like, oh, that's so exciting. And that's a pony. And I can ride that right through this story. And that'll work. And then you go to write it. And you're like, yeah, I don't know how to do this. And then you start throwing all your shit in again. Because you don't want to ride that pony. So suddenly you're like, but there's this really great little side story over here with her kid. And let's just put that pony in. And let's put this pony in with her friend. And suddenly you're back to mush, right? And that just tells you, oh, that's really interesting to know. That did not that pony couldn't ride the race. So even though it was a great note and a great idea, it didn't work for you. So stop, go back. I mean, you got to really ride it all the way to the end. See if really beat sheeted out to the end because maybe something at the end will click and you'll realize, oh, I didn't even understand this relationship. Now I do once I got to the end. Um, so that's kind of what I mean by pick a pony for versions because I think people also think, oh, I'm going to write one draft, three drafts, five drafts. And I'm like, no, you're writing versions. Like, Write a yeah. version to get that base and that core of why people go to the movie for relationships. So what relationship am I going to love so much? Um, and it'll change. This it'll really, just change the drafts. This it was really uh, came up for me when I was adapting a book because the book is first person narrative and it's not structured like a movie. It's not act one, act two, act three. It's incidents. And there's all these amazing things that happen and that the character does. And I had to figure out what the main relationship was. I had to create some moments in that because it wasn't quite there in the story that I wanted to tell. I had to pick a very specific uh, point, the, uh, the main relationship in it, but also like what I wanted to write about specifically with all these incidents, with this story. Um, and I didn't want to end it like the book ended. Like I had to do that too. So I had to earn that and change things. But it was really hard because I love this character's voice. I love all the little things that happen. So it was like, oh, but I'm, in order to do this, I have to not have that really cool scene where she 
volunteers for medical experiments. <laughs> you know, it's like, but it wasn't serving the larger story I was trying to tell. And that was really hard, um, sort of going through and picking and then changing and giving her dialogue to other people in order to make a scene work. Like that stuff was hard. Um, well, it but, takes incredible yeah. discipline. It is incredible discipline to be able to do it. And I think writers who have been through this enough have got that as a tool in their toolbox of that discipline of, no, I'm just, I got to stay on this line. I got to stay here and see where it goes. Um, like I said, sometimes it'll work and sometimes it won't. Sometimes it'll explode. You just don't know. Um, but that's the discipline of trying it, right? And maybe be cheating it out and then doing some random writing with them to see what kind of sparks you get. I mean, I will say that I really prefer, even though it's much more work for me, uh, I do prefer labs where we're doing homework versus um, I love a lab where I get to talk to somebody for two hours and give them notes. It's It's worthwhile to get a lot of different notes but it's deeper work to know, okay, now you picked a pony, go do this for your homework. And uh, I found when the last lab I did for some of the writers and it immediately challenged some and some immediately fell in like, you know, ducks to water, just depending on where they were with their story and they were going. But then a couple of, you know, a couple of them, I started to suspect, wait, you're going backwards now. Uh, that there is safety in the chaos you know, that discipline that I'm talking about can be so hard that your brain is like, no, <laughs> I'm not going to do that. I miss my stuff. Kind of like what you said, Lorian, like I miss that scene where she does this. And then you've got to parse out, okay, wait a minute. Is this, is there fear in here of this pony that it's going to bring you to lava? It's going to expose something that actually, if that's what the story is, you need to expose it. Or is it just not your story? And it, it was notes that were given. And the only way you find that out is you do it and you get really honest with yourself um, about it. I but think really self-sabotage like is one of those two. Sorry to interrupt, but- Yeah, no, that's good, yeah. You know, people will get on the pony that they know is gonna crash into the wall so that they can tell themselves they're not a writer. <laughs> yes, don't do that either. But you know what? I can't tell you how many ponies have crashed and uh, turned out not even to be ponies at all. Uh, that's so I feel like it. I have to tell this story now. When I was about three years old, four years old, we lived on a little farm and I had two ponies. Tea Pony was a little Shetland pony and Spice. So Tea Pony was a sweetheart. I loved her. She would eat grapes out of my hand. I'd ride her bareback around the little paddock yard. Always knew when I rode Tea Pony, I was going to have a great little day. When I got on Spice, that asshole horse, Pony, was a brown horse and she just bucked me off, would chase after me. One time she backed me up against like one of those poles, like a rebar and like scraped me up against it. Um, I love Tea Pony, but I always was trying to ride Spice. <laughs> or um, yeah, I was always trying to get her to do what I wanted her to do. And she never, ever would. Cause she had this crazy mind of her own. And I, sometimes, you know, just listening to you talk, I feel like, oh, I can ride Tea Pony. I know what that ride's gonna be. But I know if I ride on Spice, she's not going to do what I want to do. That If I pick that pony, it's going to be this wild ride. She's going to throw me into the barbed wire and bite my hand. And it's going to be painful. I'm going to be scratched and bruised and trampled. But it's a much better story than I got him a little pony and I rode around and I got All off. Right. Well, you and know? often those horses, uh, when you finally do become friends, there's no loyal. There's no more loyal. Right. Yeah. And, you know, just they there is fire in this choice of pick a pony and it does start to illuminate the shorts, you know, the shortcomings of your story or um, what you've been avoiding by throwing all this stuff in there. Right. And a lot of it is intellectual, like, well, I need that in there for the trailer moment. And I need that in, cause somebody told me that's what's sellable. And I need that because I need it to be an indie film and I need it to be daring and crazy and risky and like nothing that's ever been seen before. I'm just, no one's ever said that to me, but you know what I mean? That, that There's a whole other <laughs> spectrum. Sometimes it's all about what will sell and sometimes it's all about what is kind of authentically indie, right? Which can also be as big a dodge as what will sell in my opinion, because I've done it. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's a simple concept, but we decided to give it a whole show because it's a powerful thing to do. And it will, ha and it's a hard thing to do, and it's a disciplined thing to do, um, and it's something that it's funny because, like, when we hear pitches, I really think what you're telling them right up the bat is what pony you're on and what race we're in, right? We're in this kind of genre. It's this kind of tone. 
And it's about a woman who does this and meets this guy. And like, what are we starting to do? We're starting to say, okay, we're in this race. We're on this pony. We're going that direction. This is the main relationship. Like the, that's really what they need to know where the hell we are, right? What race are we in and what pony are we on so that they can hear the story and get it. Um, so, and this is what we do on the Patreon with our workshop, because I just, sometimes you just have to hear it uh, be done and you can start to hear, it's a really kind of weird brain thing because you're going to think you know what I'm talking about, but until you do it, you kind of don't. So you have to take it to your work. I'm going to say this right now. Everything we talk about on this podcast, be it me and Lorian, be it with Jeff and what he's experienced, be it with our guests. If you don't take it and apply it to your work, even just as an exercise for an hour, it doesn't do anything. It doesn't change your brain and you won't fully grok it. You won't fully deeply get it until you do it. And I can't believe that I'm still at this late stage of my life doing things where I'm like light bulbs going off. And I'm like, Jesus, how did I write yeah. that and not know that? Jesus. Like literally, I was literally like the other day, like, oh man, this thing we've been working on this strand, that's not going to work. Like it's just part of that, of the process of blindness. It's blindness is part of the process. Uh, and you just have to start making choices and be disciplined um, in order to start to see it. Which just sounds hard, Meg. Make choices, be disciplined, do the it work. Is, it it's sounds hard. Super, it's super <laughs> rewarding. I wish I could bring my hand writers on here right now because watching them mm -hmm. get it and through go through homework and and some start to doubt and some change ponies and all kinds of stuff happened. But I, I'm telling you, they got a lot out of it because they the discipline it took them and they were working like we'd work in the morning and then they'd go and write or vice versa. I can't remember now. Um, you know, it, it really did help them get writing at a deeper level. Right. This discipline. Yes, it's harder, but it's so rewarding. It's so rewarding. One thing I like to think about is, and I might be stealing this from John August, but he's a pretty smart guy. So I feel fine <laughs> lifting that from him. Now course, we have friend, to give him a quarter. Okay, yes, go ahead. Friend of the show, John August. <laughs> if you haven't listened to his episode, it's great. But um, he talks about how as a writer, you're making a contract with your audience. So when you, you know, write your first act, you're sort of teaching your audience what your film is and you're shaking their hand and saying, this is what the film is. And of course you'll surprise them and there'll be twists, but the overall essence of what, you're showing the audience your movie is you have to deliver on. So if you switch ponies mid film, not only are you disservicing your own work and your own theme, but you're kind of cheating your audience out of what you promised them, the contract you made with them. And I've been watching some big studio movies lately that have had some pony picking problems. And it's kind of frustrating when all of a sudden you're like, whoa, like what movie am I watching now? Um, so I just think like even to honor the audience with the promise you make them at the beginning, mm -hmm you want to be kind of on rails. Well, it's fun, it, you know, just to speak to this, like pick a pony too doesn't mean simple. Like you don't have to have a simple story. Like I I do think everything all at once, I, that's not the full title of the movie. Everything everywhere all at once. Is that, is that right? That's right. They picked a pony. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the ponies they picked was chaos, right? But they had to stay on that. Like, it's not like chaos, 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 simple movie. Like they are choosing things they're choosing main relationships they're choosing uh and as crazy often the different places they can go uh rocks are talking like they can go off it but they're always coming back to the the what they're promising the audience right and what the the pony that they're picking so i'm not at all trying to say simplistic um it's a very different thing it's about discipline and um and i agree a lot of the movies are starting to, to me service so many relationships that I don't know about which one I'm supposed to care about anymore. Like they're trying to do so many different relationships that I don't know what's the center one. Again, it doesn't mean you can't have a lot of relationships, have as many as you want, but what's the center relationship that ultimately the character is learning through and that I care about at the end of this movie. Um, I sometimes I think just because, you know, and I understand how it happens. Um, these movies are so big and they have so many things to do. Uh, there's so many things to lift. Uh, I, I can see how it can happen. But and, and they're still good movies, by the way. I'm, I don't even want to say they're not good movies. I just don't think they're as fully satisfying as they could be if they had picked a pony underneath about what relationship ultimately is about. 
Meg, didn't um, you say that like Andrew or people at Pixar would like pick one word and like that would be like your beacon as you worked on whatever? Well, project. early and early when you're early, sometimes we'll pick a word and put it on the wall. And they did that at Disney too. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and it depends on the team. Sometimes the directors don't want to. It depends on the director or, or what show you're on. But um, it just helps to pick a word and put it on the wall. Now, that's not the theme yet. That's the bucket that the theme is in. Um, but it helps us all go. Yes, it's the pony that we're going to pick. We're all going to go towards that thing. So Javi was on the show and I reached out to him after I was about to start tab time. I'm like, I need advice. Give me showrunner advice. And he was like, pick an image. That's a guiding image for the show that everything will come back to that. And I thought about it a lot. And I picked a big bowl of fruit for tab time because it's recognizable. Kids know what it is. Parents know what it is. It's sweet, healthy, colorful. It can mean, it can mean it's the things I wanted the show to mean. And so every decision I made was around, is this a big bowl of fruit? The set, Tab's dress, like the tone, the the everything about it. For me, it was that big bowl of fruit because of what it meant. So that for me was me picking a pony about Absolutely. what the sh whole show was gonna be because it was more than a word for me. It was like that visual, the vibrancy, the color, what the what fruit means, you know, like I hate bananas, but I still put them in the bowl, you know, cause someone else might like bananas. And that's sort of what the show is about. You know, it's like, you get to like whatever you like. So um, it's the same, that was like a, a, a moment for me that unlocked the show where I was like, ah, I picked, you know, I have another show where I picked an image that I'm not quite, I'm not quite sold on, so it's kind of a little, mm, yeah, a little harder one. for me. Do an exercise yeah, so for I, a couple hours. Pick a different one yeah. and see what happens. I have to figure out what that is. And I'm working on a new project. I'm really excited about it. It's an adaptation. And I'm like, okay, what what's that image for me? Like, what is it? Is it a word? Is it an image? Like, what a photo? Like, whatever it is, is like the, the thing that guides. Everything has to come back to that. So for me, that's the first pony I have to pick because all the other work needs to come back to check in with that. Yeah, that's cool. An image is really I cool pick spice. Show. I pick the mean brown pony. <laughs> pick spice. Let it beat you up a little bit. I pick spice. <laughs> well, that's pick a pony. Um, thanks so much, everyone, for listening. If you haven't joined, we'd highly recommend the Facebook our Facebook group. Um, it's a beautiful place to meet other writers and find additional support outside of the show. And remember, you are not alone and keep writing and pick spite. Thanks for tuning in to The Screenwriting Life. We love our community and we want to get to know you even better. Join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash thescreenwritinglife or email us at thescreenwritinglife at gmail.com to have your question considered for the show. You can also suggest topics by emailing us there. Also, we'd love for you to drop us a review on Apple Podcasts. Even if we don't read your review on air, trust me, we have read it, and not only does it mean the world to us, but it helps other people find the show. We've always been driven by mission and mentorship, and reviewing our show helps expand that mission. And of course, until next Sunday, happy writing.